Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Okay, so I haven't had on any heels in 24. So I see you, you feel my pain. <laughs> so if I come out of them, do not be surprised nor dismayed. It is such a joy to be at Calvary during this season to share with all of you and to see faces that I feel like I've only seen. Ah, we're in Maryland. This has been a minute that we haven't seen. I have many folks here with me. My my for folks that at the end of this month, I will have made a whole year with the Metropolitan Interfaith Association, and I'm grateful for that relationship. Hey, Arnetta. I'm also here with my, my uh, other love and passion, my folks with MICA, our Memphis Coalition for Action and Hope. I'm glad to see you all as well. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the folks that uh, keep me on the straight and narrow and have put up with me for 20 years, and those are the beloved people at the Freedoms Chapel Christian Church. And in between, I see folks like Ellen and people like Charlie. It's really a joy. I was a pain for Heidi because she had scripture that was already printed, and then I woke up and had an epiphany. And uh, so we're going in a slightly different direction. I thank God for her. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, Lord of all creation, lover of life and everything, please help us to love, grow, and share in our very small way, in the way that you love and grow and share infinitely and everywhere. Help us to lean into your love for us as I offer a message based on your word I pray that it will bless your people, but I know that is only possible if the space between my lips and the ears of your people, between what I have written and what they hear, between what I hope to say and what they actually receive is blessed by you. I know unless you anoint the words that they will come back void, and that is not my intention. And so I ask that you, Lord, will speak, send your Pentecost communicating power so that each will hear exactly in the language that communicates to them. And when that happens, if that happens, as that happens, my words and what is stirring in the hearts of your people will not only be pleasing, but they will be changed because we will have heard not from Roz, but from you. This is my prayer. On this day, O oh Lord, our strength and the only one who redeems us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I got to sing just this because it was so beautiful. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, Help of the helpless Lord, abide with me. It's nothing like singing in Calvary. <laughs> there is no love like uh, a mother's love for her son. 
and it is Women's History Month. I know it's also the Lenten season, but I'm going to take the honor and name this as gospel truth, even as I lean into the gospel ascribed to John. I choose to, and I invite you to as well, to see this passage through the lens of a black mother and her black son. In some ways that we can relate to the text globally, uh, I want us to see this exchange between a mother and her son, and particularly uh, a black mother and her black son. I say black in particular because to say African-American would not affirm the blackness found in the sacred text that we hold before us on today. And be not mistaken, I want you to see color, the colorfully colorfulness of the color of this text. I believe that in so doing, you will not only see the text differently, but you will hear the text differently. And that matters to me as I unpack what the Holy Spirit and I considered for this message, this reflection during this Lenten season. It is my heart's desire that each time I offer a word in preaching or teaching that someone will walk away with a realization, a new aha moment that they have with God and that it would lead us to love, grow, and share more this week than we did last week so that we're not just hearers, but we really are doers of God's word. And so lean in with me with fresh ears and hear this exchange between this mother and her son as they talk to each other. The word says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Yep. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said, her woman, what concern is that of you and me? My time has not yet come. I love this exchange between this mother and her son, between Mary and Jesus, watch them. She said, they have no wine. It's so much in that one line. There are, they are at this gathering, this communal gathering, a significant gathering. Wedding for these folks could last for days. They represented not just two people, but the joining of communities together. A wedding represented status and generational status, economic status, future hopes and dreams kind of status. They were at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Small village, community of farmers, not wealthy people, but ordinary folks, poor people still, weddings are significant. She said to him, they have no wine. That's how mothers speak to their children. In short sentences, they carry great weight. The assumption and the awareness communicated in those four words were that Jesus could remedy the situation. This was not their wedding. We have nothing that suggests that they were the caterers of the event, nor the host of the, of the event for that matter. Still, his mother said, they have no wine. To which the son responds to his mother, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My time has not yet come. If you were raised by a black mother, or maybe a Jewish mother, Italian mother, if you were raised by a mother, then you might want to admit right now that you kind of wince a little might even lean back slightly, almost involuntarily, in anticipation of a slap or a side eye or something, because even though we know this is Jesus, Jesus, all of that, still, it's all right, you can admit it. You're not going to go to hell if you say it. Jesus sounds disrespectful. We said it out loud in a church, in a pulpit. But I mean... 
Let your spiritual imagination join this conversation. Notice Mary's response. The word says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. My grandmother used to say, if she was listening to this, she would say, she did not even dignify what Jesus said with a response. She didn't even acknowledge that boy. She didn't bother to address his comment nor his tone. In between all of that, there is no back and forth, no chastisement, nothing. It is as if she is both accustomed to what we may call Jesus running off at the mouth and not at all concerned by it. And really, quite honestly, used to, I put that in the category of a mother who knows her child and a child who knows his mother. What did Jesus do next? He did what she told him to do. We could write this off as biblical editing and, and postulate that whatever was said was left out of the text, but I like to think otherwise. I prefer to hold to the idea that this mother and this son knew each other. She knew what he was capable of, and he knew that she knew as well. And that's a nugget in case you missed it, because mothers, fathers, parents see the full capacity and possibilities of their children even before the children know it for themselves, and they call it out. They name those capabilities, those possibilities, those endowed gifts that are to be used for the good of the community, just like Lois and Eunice supported, nurtured, and nudged the gifts of young Timothy's protege of the apostle Paul, so it can be said to be true that the mother and grandmother of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew his gifts, called them out to him, spoke of them over him, encouraged him to use those gifts for the greater good. Mary did the same with Jesus because she knew who he was even before he fully owned it, and he knew that she knew that as well. There's something about a parent knowing the capabilities of a child that can indeed move that child. The word says, now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. Other than John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and John 11.35, Jesus wept, this, what happens next, is probably more known of any of the things that Jesus did. Jesus changed water into wine. Every wine drinker loves this text. It has become justification for much behavior beyond the text. But we don't want to lose focus on that not miss or miss what is happening here. There are implications for what Jesus has just done that have nothing and yet possibly everything to do with the bottle of wine in your house right now. As his mother leans back and simply watches her son do what she knew only he could do, he proceeds with no lip service about it. Jesus said to them, fill up the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the wine that had become wa the water that had become wine, he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward said to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk but you have kept the good wine until the end. While we pay great attention to turning water into wine, 
it is both the timing and the impact of this action that is not only defining who Jesus is, not only how his actions impact community, but on how his actions demonstrate a shift in how community is viewed. I know that's a lot, watch, here we go. As the chief steward acknowledged in the tone of surprise, not to Jesus, but he didn't even know what had happened. No, he went to the bridegroom, to the husband-to-be, and spoke with an impressive tone saying, everybody serves a good wine first, then all that trashy stuff later, after no one can really tell the difference. But you have kept the good wine until now. Listen, it wasn't that Jesus turned water into wine. It wasn't even that they ran out of wine. As his mother prompted, because it would have been embarrassing for the family if they ran out of wine in this public event. No, 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 no. What was impressive to the catering staff, the chief steward in charge of the reception, was when the wine was served and the quality of the wine served. Don't let me lose you. Jesus, without so much as an announcement or, hey, look at me, has changed the cultural landscape of this wedding celebration, which was community celebration. Therein, in that one act, changed the status of this family, this couple, and ultimately this community. When Madam C.J. Walker developed her hair care products, she was not the first to do so, but in so doing, she raised the status of beauty for African-American women and families in the whole United States. What Jesus did was like bringing out the good china after midnight at the house party. In this moment, in this small village, Jesus has changed not merely lives, not just water, but status and cultural expectations. What was to be first is now last. You see that? Instead of what the customs required, you see a change in the customs for the good of the family and the community. You see that? Everyone serves good wine first and then inferior afterwards. How people can be treated has just changed. You see that? What was transactional became relational and communal in new and fresh, do you see that? Every time you get your bottle of wine, I'm gonna need you to see it differently. <laughs> you kept the good wine until now. Because of what Jesus did, a bridegroom will forever be remembered as having done a new thing in his community and his life and his family will forever be valued differently for this one. Do you see that? But that's not really it. The word says Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Don't you want to ask, how did him making water into wine reveal his glory? You need to consider what glory translates into, right? In Greek, it means a sense that his glory is tied to his reputation. In other words, Jesus revealed who he was. 
He established his reputation in this simple act, his good reputation first in this small village community at this communal celebration in an act that changed communal custom. That's Jesus. This sign revealed and established who Jesus was going to be in the community in which he lived. And the word says, and his disciples believed in him. That is interesting to me. I mean, you can think about it. He has followers, Instagram, you know, Facebook. He got followers, but the word says because he did this, his disciples believed in him. They didn't believe in him before that. They believed because he made water turn into wine. That's way too simple. We got to go a little deeper. His disciples were the same ones brought up with the same customs following him with the same notions and expectations of how these traditions were to be valued and how important these customs were in the community. They knew what was supposed to happen. They didn't follow him expecting him to change what was supposed to happen. But when he did, he changed them. He gave them permission to shift their expectations in community. He gave them room to question and think differently about what and how community is to look like or how community is to respond to each other. He gave them a new understanding of wine. Wine that represented in the community a cause for celebration. Wine that reminded us that it was indeed a time when God had completed and fulfilled what God's expectations were. Wine that was the expression, as Dr. Gaffney, Will Gaffney would say, is a sign of joy. It's a sign of Sabbath rest. It's a sign of the fulfillment of promises. Wine represents new life, new hope, new dreams, new possibilities. To give the best wine in the end is a promise that your end always has new possibilities. Oh, help me, Lord. Good wine offered at the end represents new definitions of how you celebrate, how you treat yourself, how you treat your folks, how you gather together. The good wine that Jesus made, taking ordinary water and turning it into new and good wine is the same thing that we expect to happen between now and Easter Sunday, that in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed away, and now we have become new even at the last we still have chance to get what's good at the first hallelujah the good wine that Jesus made was the first indication of a new covenant and of new life and that is the hope that propels us through the wilderness places of the Lenten season through the test through the days without and the struggle within, it is the hope of new. That's why the sun outside right now feels so good to us. The hope of change, the hope that what others count as last will have a seat first at the table of the Lord. That last dream you got, it still got power. The one who refused to give up to despair discovers in Jesus what we were taught in good church service. Don't leave before the benediction. You might just get your blessing. There are still blessings to be found. And I believe if you were to ask Mary, any mother who loves her son, any mother who loves her child, I believe that what Mary said 
speaks to us today. She knew that he would do what she told him to do. And she will say to you what she told those servants. Do whatever he tells you. And the church said amen. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.